This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, podcast number 16. I can't believe we're 16 in already, but this World Series is really speeding things up. We're doing this show October 27th, Thursday, day before the Phillies play game one of the World Series against the Houston Astros. This is another World Series edition podcast where we try to check in with our listeners almost every day to give you the latest, to give you statistics, to give you insights, to give you interviews. And today, we're going to get into some deep, deep analysis of this World Series. Um, but again, the surprising Phillies, still they're still surprising, right? They go into the World Series, still the surprising Phillies against the big, bad, dominant Houston Astros. I think it's fair characterization, right? doesn't mean it's going to come out that way. Uh, but right now, it looks like the Astros, the whole world is on the Astros as this dynasty team having been in four of the last six World Series. So we'll keep this going. Tomorrow, we'll have a special guest, Chad Durbin. Of course, you heard Chad this year as part of the Phillies radio broadcast, former relief pitcher who has lived through these times with the 2008 Phillies where he was a key reliever. We'll talk to him tomorrow on the podcast. And in a bit, you'll hear from my buddy, Hembo. That's right, Paul Hembikidis. You know him from ESPN show Get Up. He's the content uh, uh, producer of that show, and he also does a, a radio show with Mike Greenberg. Uh, so we'll hear from Hembo. Hembo is a master of the statistics, and uh, I think Hembo has a big satchel of stats that he's going to unveil that indicates that the Philadelphia Phillies can win this World Series. All right, let's look at it from the jump tomorrow. As predicted by me, by the way, you know, I'm not the type to say I told you so, not the type to, to pat myself on the back. That's probably a lie because I like to pat myself on the back. However, however, I predicted that Aaron Nola would get start in game one while they give uh, Zach Wheeler another day of rest. And there's some there's some real good theories on why that should benefit the Phillies that we'll get into uh, in a second. So Nola over Wheeler in game one. Nola is on his regular rest. Wheeler. With five days rest, 2.57 ERA. With four days rest, 3.64. So there's a real legitimate reason why you would want to give him an extra day, not not even to to bring up the fact that he got hit on the leg with a ball up the middle, and then uh, he's coming back from an elbow situation. It cost him a month of the season, and you saw him wilt in in the seventh inning where his velocity dropped. So an extra day is going to help him. It's key because the Phillies have to win one of these two. And it would benefit them to win the World Series. They may even have to win both of these in Houston. And they've got Nola and Willard, two big guns going for them. Game one. They haven't announced it as we're sitting here yet, but most likely it's Justin Verlander in game one versus Aaron Nola. Let's look at Nola. He uh, Before he had the meltdown against San Diego, he got roughed up a little bit in game two against San Diego. Before that. He had allowed one earned run in 12 and two-thirds innings against the Cardinals and the Braves. 
Now, I don't I don't know what happened in that last start, but I'm thinking that that he's going to get it back together. Uh, he, the thing about, I like about Aaron Nola, there, there are things that a lot of fans haven't liked about him, but the thing I've always liked about him is his demeanor. Like, he doesn't get flustered. He's one of those guys that, if you look at his background, he's always kind of been this humdrum guy. He, he was actually roommates with Alex Bregman at LSU. Alex Bregman was the wild child who used to drag Nola to, to these uh, parties, these, these frat parties at LSU. And Nola's the guy who's always in the background, you know, he's kind of lurking in the corner. But that demeanor has defined him as a pitcher. He doesn't get overly excited. And when he's got his good stuff, not getting overly excited is a great combination in the spotlight uh, of a World Series game one in somebody else's ballpark. Okay. Um, so, um, let, let's look now at the no, the Nola start because he, he did pitch against the Astros. Now, I don't know how much you want to take out of that. The last series of the year, the Phillies clinch it with Aaron Nola on the hill, game one of that three-game series, which ended the regular series season. Now, Houston Astros didn't have anything to play for. However, if you look at baseball – guys that are in the lineup are still trying to get hits. Guys that are pitching are still trying to get you out. So unlike other sports where you play your bench, you, you know, the, baseball is different. So it, it still is strength on strength, even though the Astros really have nothing to play for. They're still trying to get hits. They don't want their average to drop. And, and it's baseball. So against the Astros starters in that game, he had a perfect game going for six innings. And this is the same guys that are in the lineup that they're going to see in game one of the World Series. We're talking about uh, Altuve and Pena and Bergman. Now, they limited those guys to uh, two, two at-bats. So here's, here's how it worked. Um, eight of the nine Astro regulars that day, the guy that played in center field is not a regular, but eight of the nine regulars that day went one for 19 against Aranola. Altuve, Pe- uh, Pena, and Bregman were, and Maldonado were 0 for 2. Tucker had three at bat, 0 for 3. Yearly Gariel, 0 for 3. And Trey Mancini, 0 for 3. Um, lifetime against Aaron Nola, it's not a big sample size. Altuve's 2 for 5. Mancini, who hasn't had a hit in this postseason, is 0 for 5. And Maldonado is 0 for 5 against Aaron Nola. So the small sample size says that Nola handled these guys pretty well. I hope the same thing happens in game one. Now, his opponent. All right, Justin Verlander is Justin Verlander. There's nothing you can do about it. He's still uh, at the top of the league as far as power pitchers go. It's mind-boggling to me. My man's still throwing 99 miles an hour. I don't know how he's doing it. So he did pitch in that last series against the Phillies, but it was the hangover game. The Phillies had clinched on Monday. Verlander pitches on Tuesday. You know, guys are not exactly into it. They've already clinched. He had 10 strikeouts in five innings in that last series against the Phillies on that Tuesday. Uh, so you know, take, take whatever that's worth. Here's what you're going to see with Justin Verlander. First of all, he's smart. He's been around. He knows weaknesses of hitters. He pitches to those weaknesses. But what you're going to see a lot of are fastballs at the top of the zone. He's one of the few pitchers that can get away with that because his velocity's got so much jump that his fastballs at the top of the zone, guys are, are not going to get on top of it. So the Phillies, I think, are going to have to change their approach a little bit uh, against Verlander because he's going to throw to that spot and, and you're going to have to kind of shorten up. You're going to have to adjust. If if you're trying to, you know, power swing at that, you, you're probably going to pop it up or you're going to foul it back. You're not going to get on top of it. So let's look and see how the Phillies do against Justin Verlander. Segura has the biggest sample size because he's been around. Uh, so he's played on teams that have faced Justin Verlander more than uh, the Philly uh, hitters that are also in this lineup would. Four for 14, Segura. So he's in 286 against Verlander. But look what he does. He's a short swing guy. He's a put the barrel of the bat type of guy on that. So Segura is a key hitter against Verlander. Harper is two for five, which is solid. That's 400. Schwarber, Hoskins, and um, let's see. They have not faced him yet. Schwarber and Hoskins have not faced him. Marsh was an 0 for 4 against him. Real Muto was 0 for 2. Bohm 0 for 2. Veerling got a, a start in that game. He was 0 for 2. And uh, Stott w- was 0 for 2. So not a big sample size against Justin Verlander. And uh, he is what he is. So it's, it's Nola against Verlander. Verlander obviously is going to have a slight edge in this game as the, as the favorite. The use is going to be favored in this game. 
uh, because of, of what he is. So now we go to game two. If the Phillies don't win game one, it becomes a must that Wheeler deliver game two and they're against Framber Valdez. He, he's the only left-hander on the staff. Um, he gave up two hits. He pitched in that last series. He got two hits in five innings in his last start. Uh, uh, 10Ks. <laughs> so so he, he had – there's a lot of strikeouts that Houston pitchers go after. And they struck out the Yankees in that series. It was a sweep. 50 strikeouts the Yankees had in that series. So Houston has strikeout pitchers. This is why you've got to be able to put the ball in play against them. So Framber, Framber Valdez is no slouch. He'll get game two. Let's look closer now at the no lefties in the bullpen situation for the Houston Astros. Normally, that is a detriment to a team. Because you see how uh, relief pitchers come in for certain left-handed hitters. You always want to have that left-hander in. Now, today he's got to pitch to three guys, so it's not as much of an advantage as, as it would be if you could come in and put the power lefty in to get one left-handed hitter out. Um, but uh, it is unusual. Has it hurt the Astros? Surprisingly not. In fact, if you look at the splits, the numbers left-handed batters have against Houston's right-handed relief pitchers is lower than the right-handed hitters have against them. Uh, in season, the Astros bullpen versus lefties, a 202 average left-handed hit, uh, hitters had against the Astros bullpen, an all-right-handed bullpen. Um, in the postseason, lefties have hit 141, righties have hit 199. So lefties have a lower batting average against their right-handed relief pitchers. Uh, against Seattle and the Yankees, 0.80 left-handers. That was the average. Now, if you look at Seattle and you look at the Yankees, the Yankees had one significant left-handed hitter, Rizzo. That was about it. Seattle really didn't have anybody. Uh, so those numbers are a little skewed. But the point is they've been doing it all year with a right-handed bullpen because their stuff plays pretty well against left-handed uh, uh, hitters, which means they probably can throw change-ups away. Uh, Okay, Bryce Harper. We talked about him all week. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when you have a guy like Bryce Harper on your team who is such a professional, the aura that that, that dude brings, uh, he, he's a, a, a ball player. He's a gamer. Uh, he gives you that, that confidence, that comfort confidence. And when you see somebody like that performing with, with that kind of an aura, you, you have no uh, other choice but to join in. Like, like he sets a standard that you have to follow as a hitter. And I think that's really helped the Phillies in the postseason. Uh, I also think it will benefit the Phillies to move Bryce Harper into the three-hole. I want him hitting in the first inning. I don't want the Phillies to go three and out and then have him lead off the second inning. I need him to get up in the first inning against Justin Verlander. Now, uh, Dusty Baker is smart. Uh, he's probably not going to pitch to Bryce Harper. So if, if he's not going to pitch to Bryce Harper, if you move him to the three-hole, well, then you're going to have to face JT Romuto in, in that inning instead of Castellanos. I think it behooves them to move Harper up into the th – I don't know if Rob Thompson will do that, but I think it's a, a, a better strategy to have him moved up into the three-hole. And, and, and not only that, but – you know. The left-hander is not going to come out of the pen later against them. So you want to get him as many at-bats as you can. I would move him up. We'll see if he does that. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to pitch around him. JT Romuto knows it, and he's going to be a key hitter in, in this whole series. Uh, let's look at some uh, other tidbits here. The layoff. Now, I've been listening all week. I, I listen to a lot of uh, MLB radio. You, know, you get a lot of, uh, of different insights and, you know, like managers from around the league come, come on as guests. And the question of the layoff comes up and uh, the consensus from most of the managers that I've heard speak on this is that the layoff, the gap between when they last played to tomorrow is going to hurt the Phillies mojo. Um, Houston, if you look at all their series, they've all ended early. They've had to sit around and wait. And so they're a little bit used to it. The Phillies have this uh, this thing going right now where you want to keep it rolling. So the consensus is that the layoff will hurt the Phillies more than Houston. Again, this is just speculation. 
I, I don't know if it could be over analysis, uh, but I uh, just thought I would throw that out there because a lot of big league managers look at it and say the team that is rolling along wants to keep playing and, and they don't want that layoff to get cold. The other team, the more experienced team, the better team on paper, the, the team that has had more World Series experience, it's going to hurt them a little bit less. I don't know. Let's look at the Astros, their lineup. Everybody loves their lineup. But let's let's look closely because the top of the lineup really hasn't given him much production. I'm talking about Altuve. Altuve's a very good player, but uh, he's hitting a buck eighty-eight in the postseason. He's at the top of the order. It hasn't hurt Houston so far. But if you're playing a team that can score runs, you're gonna have to score with them. If you're not getting that leadoff hitter on, if he's not sparking things, your offense bogs down a little bit. Let's go down the line here. Now we already know Jordan Alvarez is a great player. Um, he hasn't lit it on fire in his postseason, but he, he still, he, I'm not going to downgrade him. Uh, Kyle Tucker, very good player for them, hitting a buck fifty four in the postseason. Trey Mancini's at zero zero zero. Chaz McCormick, the center fielder, is at two thirty one. Knowing that, but Altuve, if you go back to Altuve, a, a supposed contact hitter with a little bit of pop, he has struck out eleven times in the postseason. Uh, that's seven games, 11 strikeouts for Altuve. You don't want your top, your leadoff hitter striking out. You want to put the ball in play. So they're a little vulnerable offensively, I think, as coming into this series. They have not been a juggernaut outscoring teams by a lot. They're a solid team. They're, they're put together. They have good players at every position. They're managed well, but they haven't been an offensive firepower. Uh, okay. Uh, again, we look at the series. To me, it's a must situation that they win one of them. Um, if they win one, they're still in it, and it goes back to Philadelphia. And in Philly, it's going to be hard for the Astros to win. They're not in their comfort zone. We talked about this before. Minute Maid ballparks like playing in your living room. It's really nice there. It's comfortable. They close the roof. Even when they don't close the roof, it's kind of balmy. It's nice. You're going to play in, in colder weather. You're going to play in that crazy environment. Uh, I don't know how Houston will respond in, in, in that. Uh, if, if they win two, the Phillies are in golden position. The longer this series goes on, I believe the worse the Phillies have it because Houston's depth is just better than the Phillies. Their pitching depth is better. If you're going to use a lot of pitchers, you're going to get to a game seven it would help if you've got a lot of depth in your staff, and the Astros do. You just look up and down the line. They're, they're, they're the best bullpen in the big leagues. They're, they're ranked number one. Uh, they have a guy after guy who can throw gas. They have guy after guy who can throw multiple innings. They have a couple starters down there that, that they can use in, in relief. So to me, depth of pitching, the longer this series goes on, favors Houston a little more. Uh, and if they win both, the you may be looking at a World Series championship. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, it's the Mike Missanelli Podcast sponsored by Bet Rivers. And we have a very special guest that we have to include in today's show. And he was a major part of my radio show back in the day. In fact, he was so popular, we gave him a song theme. It was H E M B O. Hembo, yes, he is, of course, the content producer for the great ESPN show with Mike Greenberg called Get Up. He's a major part of Greenie's radio show that follows that show. He's a Philly native, and he wears Philadelphia sports right on his sleeve. He is the great Paul Hembikinis. Hembo, how you doing, buddy? I've never been better in my life. Uh, not only do I have stats that you need to know, but I have two eight-week-old identical twin girls who know no life in which the Philadelphia teams are bad. The Eagles haven't lost since they were born. The Phillies all of a sudden are on this magic carpet ride, in large part because they brought such good karma into the universe. And obviously watching these teams play over the last month or two has just been unbelievable, especially when you consider the expectations that we had coming in. I honestly don't recall a time in which I've been happier as a uh, sports fan of Philadelphia. Well, of course. We, listen, let, let's line it all up. Who thought the Eagles would be 6-0? Who thought this baseball team would get to the freaking World Series? Now, the Sixers aren't holding the end of the bargain, uh, and the Flyers are probably have a mediocre year. But let's focus on the two major things. First of all, let's just focus on the baseball team because neither you nor I nor my producer Darren nor anybody in this city that followed this team could have guessed that they would go to the World Series. So, so how did this happen from, from your perspective? 
I mean, the greatest things in life, from my experience, are unexpected. They fired the manager after 51 games. They got swept by the Cubs like one month ago. They were an underdog in all three series leading to this point. And Mikey, they haven't even really been challenged. Like the fact that they, they've been breezing through the playoffs like they won 120 regular season games. Like how this happened is something of a conundrum. You're obviously going to see the fact that the Astros won 19 more regular season games than the Phillies did as being like the, you know, David versus Goliath type thing. I get it. But if I had dropped you on this planet three weeks ago and you watched every game that has been played since and no games beforehand, you wouldn't think the Phillies weren't the best team. Like right now, that's how good this team is playing. Like when, when Dave Dabrowski was hired, and I was asked, like, who should the Phillies hire as their general manager? I said, literally anyone but Dave Dombrowski. And here we are. When they signed Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, I said, what a waste of money. So, like, it goes to show you. And, like, those were sort of rational takes based upon the track records, right? But, like, that's not how this thing worked. Like, it's been so delightful to be wrong about this more than anything in my entire life. Well, so, so you were down on the signings. And I kind of had the opposite feeling. Because I think Dombrowski looked at this and said, the only way we can win is to hit. Now, that didn't happen for, for most of the summer. Uh, and he had proven that that worked sort of with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, but here's the thing about Dombrowski that's probably smart. He, he says, you know what? This is like wine. You got to wait. You know, if I put all these guys together, they, they have a track record of hitting. So, uh, And we keep hearing this. They're built for October. If they start hitting and they're built for October with starting pitching, I guess it's a formula that he knew that nobody else knew. I don't think that's wrong, honestly. Like the, the most – valuable thing you can do in baseball is hit like pitching is great but 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 one's ability to hit produces the most value it's also the most um repeatable skill it's the most predictable skill and so while we looked at the bullpen and said like ah that's not going to be any good we looked at the defense we said ah that's not going to be any good how about the depth in the starting rotation maybe that's not good enough but you can mask so many blemishes if you have nine boppers in your lineup and right now at a time in the sport in which the ball is literally never in play who cares about defense? The Yankees built their team this year around defense. They just got swept by the Astros. And honestly, I think you're right. The Phillies, under, the lineup underperformed all season long. Right now, they're hitting the high end of variance. But this, candidly, is the team we thought we were going to get. Like, entering the season, we said, yeah, this team can make the playoffs, but they're going to have to score 900 runs to do it. The uh, offense, the lineup, largely underperformed all season. It obviously helped, to, you know, the Aditi Gregorius out of there. But now that all these guys are healthy and playing to the backs of their baseball cards, this was sort of the plan all along. It just took a while for us to get here. It, it really did. And, uh, you know, you talk about that Cubs series, but then they got smoked by the Nationals in a key series in that first game. Yeah. And, going, what? and, and then all of a sudden they had a rally, and they wound up winning the rest of that series, and they won that game in Houston with Aaron Nola pitching brilliantly, and, and it and – it, Milwaukee helped them out. I, I get mm-hmm. it, but but now here they are, and and then we go to the Cardinals. and go, wow, it's hard for them. They the three games in St. Louis. They can't possibly survive that series. The big bad Braves. The the Braves wilted like no team I have ever seen when they got to Philadelphia. They they were just. It was like they, they bled out mm-hmm. in, in Philadelphia. I really never seen anything like it. And this is what this team is doing to teams, especially when they get home. The Phillies lineup right now is a sledgehammer. And the, and the Phillies lineup right now inside of Citizens Bank Park is something that no pitching staff is equipped to handle and no team can prepare for. You can't prepare for that. Like, yeah, I was at game three of the 2016 World Series, the first game, uh, World Series game at Wrigley Field since 1945. It was not half as loud, literally not half as loud, as Citizens Bank Park was in game three against the Braves. That was the game that I went to. The Reese Hoskins bomb, the bat spike, the Bryce Harper home run that came two pitches later. I was at that game. Never in my life. Have I heard a sound that loud? I've been to like two dozen punk rock concerts. That moment was a singular event in my life in terms of the crowd. The next day, we, we literally saw a gold glove right fielder forget how to play baseball. You can't possibly tell me that the fan impact and the way that this team is rolling downhill right now does not have a massive impact on their opponent. It just does. It's just yeah, so you're incredibly right. obvious. Every one of those games against the Braves, just the energy was like molten lava. Now, I, I was at the... Uh, I, I compare it to, to to a couple of games. There was the there was a, a, a NLCS Kurt Schilling pitched. I don't know how old you were back then, but ninety three that place popped. They had to win that game. <laughs> they had to win that game, and that place popped. And then, of course, there was the Tampa Bay series when they came back from that weather delay. That place was insane, uh, but nothing really matched those games uh, against the Braves or or the Padres, frankly. So. So now let's get into the numbers. Now, Hembo's a great guest to have because he's always got the extrapolation of the numbers that all make sense, and they always lead to a certain conclusion. So what kind of numbers are you going to give me today on, the, on this series coming up against the Houston Astros, who are, by the way, undefeated? 
Mm-hmm. They're kind of a juggernaut. Four times in the last six years have been in a World Series. Uh, their pitching staff is amazing. So uh, what numbers would you, would you put out there to make fans believe that the Phils can win this? I want to start with the top end of the roster, Mikey Miss. I, I believe that right now Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler are the best hitter and best pitcher for either team in this series, respectively. Bryce Harper this postseason with men on base, all right, clutch hitting situations. He's 8 for 15 <laughs> with five extra base hits, 17 total bases. When you, throw Bryce, uh, when you throw Bryce Harper a fastball, this is what happens. He's 10 for 18 with six extra base hits and 22 total bases. Right now, Bryce Harper can simply not be pitched to. He's so incredibly locked in going to the opposite field. that, like, I genuinely believe that you'll see the Astros either intentionally walk him or pitch around him so long as Nick Castellanos is behind him and not mushing the baseball. He is a singular force in this series. And Zach Wheeler has been diabolical. All right, he's faced 91 batters in the postseason. He's allowed 16 of them to reach base, 18%. All right, in all four of his starts, Mikey Miss, he's gotten at least 18 outs, allowed fewer than five hits, and walked one or fewer batters. All three of those things have happened in all four of his starts. In the entire history of the postseason, which goes back to 1903, there was only one instance, one streak, in which a pitcher did that four consecutive times. And it is Zach Wheeler right here, right now. I believe that, that those two guys are obviously going to have to carry the day. But entering this series, if you're going to power rank this thing, like power rank every player, like one through 52 or whatever it is, it's Bryce Harper one and it's Zach Wheeler two. All right, let me, let me just uh, add a little to that because mm. uh, I'm predicting, as I predicted early this week, and our, my producer Darren will verify this, that he was going to pitch Nola in game one for that extra rest factor. Um, so, uh, and he's also, I'm predicting, going to move Bryce Harper into the three slot. Mm. Um, they're, they're not going to bring a lefty out of the pen. He's going to face uh, Fran Valdez, but I think he wants to get him up in the first thing, which means JT Real Muto will be behind him and not Castellano. So we'll see how Dusty Baker decides to, to handle that. But t- to your point on, on uh, the Nola Wheeler thing, Wheeler, with five days at rest and 11 starts this year, 2.57 ERA with four days rest, 3.64. So it, he's, he's using the, the Hembo analytics method to make that decision. And Nola is your starter in game one. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And but it's only half of the analytics equation here. The other half of the equation is that because you trust Zach Wheeler a little bit more, not only to be a little bit more effective, but probably to give you a little bit more length, what do you have in game one? You have an entirely full healthy, rested bullpen. You can do the full artillery, right? In game two, you're going to have to use some guys in game one. You're not going to feel quite as good about the volume you can get from that pen. But in game one, if Aaron Nola can get you 15 outs and get you, say, say, let's say Aaron Nola allows a run or two, 15 outs, 90 pitches, maybe you have to hook him sometime in the sixth. You've got Sir Anthony, you've got Alvarado, you've got Zach back there. Who knows? You might even have Ranger Suarez back there. That's the exact formula for the Phillies. Find a way to win game one with a fully healthy, rested bullpen. Hand the ball to your ace for game two and give yourself the best possible chance. I, th- I think the manager got this thing right. I like it. All right, so what other, what other numbers that, that pop out to you? Okay, so I think there are two critical areas that have keyed the Phillies' offensive success this postseason and two areas that I think they have a pretty big advantage, candidly, over the Astros lineup. The first of which, Mike, is their two-strike approach at the plate. These numbers are loud. All right, the Phillies have scored 24 runs in the postseason in two strike counts. 24 of their 57 runs have come with two strikes. Baseball in 2022 does not apply to the Phillies. The Astros have scored 10 runs in two strike counts across seven games. Advantage Phillies. Secondly, the Phillies just have quick bats up and down that lineup. There is nothing, there is literally no uh, skill more important in the postseason. None. Than one's ability to handle premium velocity. Here's the numbers, all right? In the postseason this year, the Phillies own an 836 OPS against 97 plus. 8 36. They're mashing velocity. The Ashers are 664. All right, 664. There's a 200 percentage point difference. We are going to see both of these um, pitching staffs blow cheese. Ten guys on each of these rota- uh, staffs that can throw a billion. But over the course of the first three series for the Phillies and over the course of the first two for the Astros, it is, it is a no contest. The Phillies handle premium velocity better than any team in baseball right now, and it's not close. One last thing here, one quick bonus nugget here that I think is really important. The Phillies have ambushed teams early in games, right? We've seen that. They've been able to play downhill in that respect. In the first four innings of their games so far this postseason, the Phillies own a run differential, Mikey Miss, of plus 20. They've outscored their opponent by 20 runs across the first four innings of their games. No other team in the playoffs is better than plus five. The Astros are minus one. So look, obviously the Phillies bullpen isn't their biggest strength. We know they don't have the depth. But if you can play downhill like that and get the ball to the guys that you want, 
and chase your you know your opposing starters that way. Like that's a formula that has worked since literally we started playing baseball in 1871. <laughs> I like. It. How likely is that going to happen though against Verlander and Framber Valdez? So Justin, Justin Verlander has been so hot or cold in his postseason career, right? Like we, we obviously see him at the top of all the leaderboards when it comes to the strikeout totals, the win totals. Like he's been great at certain times in the postseason. He's also had massive blow-up games, kind of like Clayton Kershaw has, just sort of less publicized. Framber Valdez is, is interesting, but here's the deal with, with – I mean, the Phillies still have enough right-handed studs in their lineup. They're not too concerned about that. Like he might neutralize Schwarber and Harper to a degree. My expectation is that they'll be a little bit more patient with Valdez. I mean, his, his best pitch is that – like ridiculous curveball, but he has, has not had an, an enormous amount of postseason success either. Let's also consider the fact, Mikey Man, that the Astros just got through the Yankees. Comparing the Yankees lineup right now to the Phillies lineup right now is like comparing I don't know, like like an apple to an elephant. Like one of them you can eat, the other of them will, will 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 trample you. The Phillies have one easy out right now in the lineup, and it's Brandon Marsh. The Yankees had like five of those, and so I actually expect the Phillies to have reasonably good success uh, against the Astros starters. Look, they're going to be around the plate, and right now the Phillies are mashing everything around the plate. All right, so it sounds like you're very optimistic that the Phillies can win this series. The Phillies are going to score runs. Of that, I'm certain. They're going to allow some runs, but they're definitely going to score runs, and that's been the key the whole time here. So that's that's one of the big – like to me, that's such a great foundation to build upon. If the Phillies lose the series but they average five runs a game, I'll be able to stomach it. I'll be really surprised if the bats go cold based upon what we've seen. Uh, what else is the X factor? Because I'm looking at maybe at starter three – uh, who the Astros are going to throw at the Phillies over matches who the Phillies can counter with. Yeah, that, that's definitely going to be a factor. The fact that at least game three comes with a day of rest obviously helps the Phillies in what might be something of a pen day. We'll see what they do with Ranger Suarez. I think the Phillies' bullpen is obviously a massive X factor in the series. 23rd-ranked bullpender in the regular season. Their ERA uh, amongst relievers has been a full run better in the playoffs than it was in the regular season. And it's not just that they've been better. It's that they've been better in the huge spots that Rob Thompson has identified. You now get that guy. They've had 16 they've, uh, sixteen batters in which they've uh, bullpen guys have come in and faced a hitter in high leverage, right? Like the biggest moments of the game, 16. Opposing hitters against uh, Dominguez. And Eflin and those 16 at bats are two for 16 with eight strikeouts. Like he has found a way to push the right buttons at the right times. And look, no one's going to pretend like the Phillies have the bullpen depth that the Astros do. The, the Astros have the best bullpen in the regular season, and across 33 innings in the postseason, they've allowed three runs. All right, but you have those guys. You have that trilogy, that trifecta, right? Those three guys that have been pretty reliable, aside from if, aside from the monsoon and aside from the Matt Olson home runs that have been really, really good, and I like it a lot. And the one other factor here that could absolutely be played late in the game, like Missinelli is the fact that the Houston Astros bullpen has thrown 518 pitches in the postseason. Every single one of those pitches has been thrown by a right-handed pitcher. Every single one. They don't have a single lefty in their bullpen, right? you got Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper that are going to come up in a high-leverage moment in this series, maybe on multiple occasions, and are going to be facing some 98-mile-per-hour throwing right-handed reliever that thinks they can sneak a fastball past one of those guys. I don't see it happening. This is a series in which not having one of those lefties could absolutely destroy Dusty Baker in this series. Of that, I am certain. I think there's going to be a couple moments where you're going to say to yourself, man, they really, really needed a lefty. I love your numbers. I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, the Astros' bullpen in the postseason, 0 0.80 ERA, and their numbers, actually, their splits are, are better against mm -hmm. left-handers with all right-handed pitchers coming who is, in. Who is the best left-handed hitter in that Yankees lineup? Anthony Rizzo. Uh, well, you're right. You're right about that. So you're saying the easy draw has influenced that statistic. I talk about the Yankees every day here on the radio because that's what we do, right? The Yankees lineup is absolutely horrible. Like what, what I saw, I mean, the, the Yankees gave up in that series. You could get into the uh, game four of the ALCS in the Bronx for $22. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the lay down effect there was, look, I, I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that the Houston pitching staff is going to be the best one the Phillies face, and that the Houston pitching staff is very likely to carve some of our hitters up. What I'm saying is that the length of our lineup and the fact that it's all righties could absolutely be a, uh, sort of play a, a role here if you're sort of still deciding between whether or not you're going to go one way or the other. All right. Uh, do we need to put a capper on this? You got, you got, anything, you got, you got an X-Factor stat for me? I got one more note for you. Okay. Okay, so, go ahead. I went on the radio this week and I said the Phillies have the greatest home field advantage in the history of Major League Baseball. Mike Greenberg laughed at me. But here's the numbers that I have to supply that opinion, Mike Missanelli. The Phillies have played 30 games in their long and storied history at Citizens Bank Park in the playoffs. They're 21-9 at Citizens Bank Park in the postseason. They win 70% of their games. 
You might think that's pretty good, right? It is the best record by any team in any home stadium in the history of Major League Baseball's 120-year postseason. The Phillies average 5.6 runs a game at Citizens Bank Park in the playoffs. They win uh, 70% of the time, 21-9. and I was there. You were there. We both acknowledge that there is going to be that kind of effect against uh, the Houston Astros in this series. And for as good as they are, the Astros are pretty soft, Mike. The Astros blew it last year. The Astros blew it in 2019 against the lesser Washington Nationals team. The Astros are a really good punch-you-in-the-face team. But the Astros aren't so good at getting punched in the face. And if there's anything I know about Philly fans, I'm going to be there in Game 5 of the World Series, so long as the Phillies, of course, don't sweep the series. Philly fans are going to punch you in the face, and the Astros are going to do uncharacteristic things. Someone's going to smuggle a freaking trash can into the place, right? That will absolutely play a factor. And if just so, uh, the Phillies wind up playing a game six and seven in Houston, you know as well as I do. Eagles at Texans on Thursday night football, and then you got game six and seven at Minute Maid. You're going to be seeing red rally towels. It's going to be red October down there in Houston. So the Phillies are going to have a home field advantage for games three through seven, kid. Dude, you you are awesome. So, um, so for the record, you have never been more glad to be wrong in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like we we looked at this team and said no chance. Now I looked at this team. I said, okay, I think they're going to get in the playoffs, but yeah. they're not. They're not as good as the Mets. They're not as good as the Dodgers. Uh, you know, and, and I wrote that whole script, but those teams just faded out. And all of a sudden, here it is. And uh, you might be right, man. This could be one of those years where, and I've been saying it all the time, it's in Philadelphia right now, and and you know this area uh, as well as anybody, it's just raining skittles. I, I've never seen such, um, I don't know, this lift that people are getting here, this positivity wave that that's cascading through this area uh, about the teams. It's been uh, zero to 60. So obviously the, the, the World Series title in 08 was magnificent, but the Phillies had been good. The Phillies made the playoffs. They, they, they broke that long playoff drought, uh, drought the year before. Obviously they got swept by, by the Rockies, but there, it was like sort of a slow build and we got to know the players, right? Like it was Rollins and Utley and Howard and Hamels and Myers and all these homegrown guys that we grew to, new, grew to new and love over the course of a short period of time. This place was empty in games in August and September. So, like, the fact that the Phillies have energized this, like, the reason it feels the way that it does to you, I think, is because it's reverberated so fast. We've gone zero to 60 in literally one month. After the Phillies got swept by the Cubs, I was texting my, I was hate texting my buddy saying, this season is freaking over. So the fact that it's, it's changed that quickly to me makes it so different from 2008. That, I think, to me, is the biggest difference. Because, like, we didn't, like, sort of grow to know and love these guys the same way. It's happened all at once, and that's why these guys are becoming freaking superheroes like that. I think it's the most fascinating Philly story. I've been covering sports here for a really long time, and I tried to document this. If you go down the exciting eras here, like you know the the eighties, early eighty sixers, they were great. They were supposed to win, so there was no shock when they got there. The eighty seven Flyers, you weren't even born yet, but they they made that fascinating run. They were unexpected, so that parallels with that. But again, it's a sport that not everybody follows. The ninety three Phillies. Nice story. They went wire to wire. They were good from the jump. The AI Sixers getting to the NBA Finals. Okay, that compares. The 2008 Phillies, they were expected to get there. They were a great team. This team was not expected to get anywhere, and here they are. To me, it's the most fascinating Philly story ever. And that's why what many of those things have in common. The Phillies this year, the Phillies in 08 and 09, right? The uh, Eagles in 17, the Eagles in 04, the Sixers in 01, the Flyers in 2010. All seven of those teams, Mikey Miss, seven for seven, were an underdog in the championship game or series. The last time a Philly team was favored in a championship game or series was the 1997 Flyers. This ain't different. Like, this ain't this is something we're used to. Like, we're accustomed to this. And I think you'll see the city embrace it. That's a big reason why this has happened, right? Like, 08 was so great, so cool. I think the years afterwards, the Phillies were favored. The Phillies were supposed to be the big red machine, and they weren't. So the fact that it's happened this way, I think, is sort of unique and singular to Philadelphia. It is stunning that that Flyers team was a favorite in that series. Against Wasn't that. it? They got swept. <laughs> really, while you think about it, that was the Terry Murray choking situation uh, year. Uh, but listen, man, it, it's always a pleasure to touch base with you. Continued success in, in your career. I know you'll be representing hard over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us, man, on the Mike Bussinelli Podcast. You're a good man. It's the Mike Bussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, thanks to the great Hembo for joining us with some baseball statistical insight. Uh, there is another team, I believe, that is playing this weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's the Philadelphia Eagles, a forgotten entity. The Eagles, 6-0, and 
thereby corresponded with the Phillies going to the World Series. So we haven't even thought about the Eagles. So let's start thinking about them because on Sunday, it is the Battle of Pennsylvania. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers come to Lincoln Financial Field as a 10-point underdog. Oh, my God, you Steeler fans that are listening to this, you got to be eating your heart out. The big bad Steelers are a double-digit dog in Philadelphia. Woe be gone, the Steelers. Uh, and they're going to have to play Mitchell Trubisky, a quarterback. Now, I, I, I don't want to make fun of this game. The Eagles are coming off a bye. They're probably going to be a little sluggish. When you come off a bye and you're playing a team that you know you can handle, you're probably not going to be the sharpest. So I'm not – if you're a betting man, you know, I take the Steelers in 10. All right, it'll probably be uh, a ridiculously close game until the Eagles win in the end. They'll go through the motions. They'll get this game out of the way. Uh, if you're going to tell me that Mitchell Trubisky is a starter, is going to be able to score enough points to actually beat the Eagles, then I, I you know, you need to go somewhere on vacation uh, because you're stressed. Um, so uh, let's look at it a little bit. The bigger story than the Eagles playing the Steelers is actually the magic of Howie Roseman because he's done it again. And when you look at the team, and I've been doing an Eagles postgame show all season, and one of the things we talk about all the time is that, you know, they're getting some sack totals. They're not exactly ferocious on the ends rushing the quarterback. Josh Sweat's been okay. The rotation with uh, with Brandon Graham and, and Hassan Reddick, he's gotten a couple sacks. But it, it hasn't been a, a real potent area when you look at the Eagles. And Howie Rosen recognizes that. So who's available? Well, a guy that wasn't happy in Chicago. Guy held out, all kinds of mayhem. He had 18 and a half sacks last year. So uh, the Eagles go out and they snag Robert Quinn from the Bears for, I believe it's a fifth-round draft pick or whatever it is, fourth-round draft pick. All right, the fourth-round draft pick, it's, yeah, it's a decent price uh, that the Eagles had to pay. Um, he's got one sack this year. And people go, oh, one sack. I remember the same reaction when they got Brandon Moore. Oh, yeah, he's hitting 220. Um, you have to understand, you have to look at this in a different way. They're not getting the guy who they expect to get 18 and a half sacks. They're getting a guy they can put in a rotation. They, they love their rotations at defensive end. Um, he's an essential addition to the rotation, right? He doesn't have to play every down. You got sweat and now you've got Robert Quinn and, and now you got Hassan Reddick and Brandon Graham and Patrick Johnson. That's a five man rotation, which, uh, lessens the load that Robert Quinn's going to have to give you. I, I think it's a, a, a brilliant move for the rotation. Rotations win. Keeping guys fresh wins these days. And how he's done it again. Um, what other weaknesses do they have? I don't know. Their special teams can be coached a little better. Uh, their punter, probably, if he has, you know, still stays inconsistent, they, they'll, they'll cut him or bring another punter in. But you're looking at a team that we're, we're, we're splitting hairs on on what they need to do to be a, a Super Bowl team. Um, here's the other thing about Quinn. He's cost-effective. He's got two years left in his contract at about like $12, 13000000 million a year. But that money is not guaranteed. So you see it all the time in the NFL. You don't produce. They can just cut you without any cap ramification at all. So that's why it makes a lot of sense. If he performs, maybe they bring him back in a, in a more salary cap-friendly contract next year. If he doesn't perform... And you don't get anything out of him, you can just cut him. He won't be part of next year's team. And and you won't have to worry about the, the guaranteed money, the salary cap money uh, for that. So it, it's a great move for the Eagles. Uh, they'll beat the Steelers. They'll go 7-0. and And uh, I, I did a little research on their uh, – uh, this is really interesting to me because the, the quarterbacks that they're going to face for the rest of the year. Let me let me get my uh, – uh, I forget. I, Dar da Darren, you okay? All right, let, me, let me just run in the other room. Uh, hold it right there. Run in the other room. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get Phil, sing a song or something, Darren. Say, do a song. Do karaoke. I, I, I will say this. I will, <laughs> I will say this. Because Mike's talking about the quarterbacks that they're going to face. It's Tom, Dick, and Harry. There are not a slew of good quarterbacks left. In the in this in the schedule for, for the entire season for the Eagles to face, 
They are the benefactor of a very easy. Oh, I'm back. Here it is. Here it is. Yes, I know. Here it is in order. Is on the schedule this year. Yes, I know. Dak yeah, Prescott. Here, here it is. Gonna see Here's the order. Later in now, the year. Now, whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, it's Tom Dick and Harry. It's Martin uh, And then it's uh, uh, Davis Mills, that Thursday night game. And then it's Taylor Heineke. Right. And then and then it's the great Sam Ellinger. Uh, Ellinger, whatever, however you pronounce that, to, who took over from Matt Ryan at the Colts. Like that, that, that's four. That's four QBs of slump in, in the next great. four weeks, right? Uh, then it's all right, Aaron Rodgers. Who knows know. what he's going to be by then? And it's Aaron Rodgers. And it's Ryan Tannehill. There's only and, two and then quarterbacks it's, uh, Daniel left, Jones, Aaron Rodgers, and Dak. And, all right, so all, like those three will be better than the four that I just mentioned. Uh, and then it's Justin Fields, and he's fine in it a little bit, but he doesn't scare me. And then it's Dak, and then it's probably Andy Dalton or uh, Jameis, whoever uh, they decide uh, to go with. So, so th- there you go with the Eagles. And <laughs> this is so silly because by the time the Phillies finish the World Series, the Eagles are uh, will we'll be discussing whether the Eagles can be undefeated for the rest of the year. That's the kind of weird uh, skittle snow. The Philadelphia is right now. Uh, all right. So on that note, let's go to our picks of the week. Uh, last week I was my first losing week. I was one and two last week. Uh, I hit on my college play. I, you know, I haven't looked at this. My college plays. I don't even know if I've lost this year. If you've been playing my college games you're, you're, and, and not playing the NFL, you're way ahead of the game. I am at 16 and 13 on the year. That's still in the plus column, even though I was one and two last week. Oklahoma was my winner. They covered against Kansas. The Jaguars, I keep underestimating the Giants. I thought the Jags would win at home. They lose as the favorite to the Giants. And the Dolphins won the game, but they did not cover last week against the Steelers. So 16 and 13, and here are my selections for this week. Three selections, two college and one pro. Let's start in college. Kansas State. Versus big, bad Oklahoma State. Kansas State is at home. They are a favorite against Oklahoma State. It's slim. It's a point and a half. I just made a, on my Bet Rivers app, by the way, which I recommend that you download. I just, before we start recording this, I bet Kansas State money line. That's a win. That's a win for the Wildcats. In Manhattan, Kansas, over Big Bad Oklahoma State and that goof Mike Gundy. All right, let's now stay in the Big 12. Iowa State from Ames, Iowa against Oklahoma. Oklahoma started out as a three-point favorite in this game. They are now only a one-point favorite. Darren, I am taking the Iowa State Cyclones outright it's an outright winner for iowa state get on it and finally my pro game (laughs) the raiders they seem to have it back together the raiders have gone from a point and a half underdog to a one point favorite at the saints and andy dalton i'm going to take the raiders to go into new orleans and win that game and cover the point all right, so those are my three selections. You like it? I, I got to tell you, I like that Raider pick for this reason, and I have I have an affinity for the Saints. I worked for them for a long time. I love the city of New Orleans. <laughs> Whatever Mickey Loomis and Jeff Ireland are smoking down in New Orleans, Dennis Allen was the wrong pick. That team has no identity, and I know they never really had one going into the season with who's going to be the quarterback. That Saints team's a mess, and just the fact that we have their first All right, there you go. Just for, uh, so my college plays again at Kansas State, minus a point and a half. I think they win it at home. I think Iowa State goes outright over Oklahoma. Uh, just a, a programming note, not, not that it has anything to do with the podcast. I'm, I'm schlepping uh, producer Darren up to Penn State Saturday morning. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're going on a road trip, leaving early in the morning. It's a noon game Schlepping. against Ohio State. I, I, how far has Penn State we're fallen sure. where they get the noon game against Ohio State? It, it's a home game. They can't even white out it because it's at noon. 
and the sun would would wash out the whiteout. Um, um, Penn State will get probably crushed. However, um, when I make the pilgrimage up, I got I got some baseball buddies from the baseball team who invited me up. They get a little tailgate going. So I see my old buddies, a little tailgate, and then uh, we'll go into the stadium. And uh, it, it's it. Li- No, I'm going to drive up, and you're, and you're going to drive back with your car. You're driving. No, of course ways. I'm driving. You actually Jeez. think I would let you car drive car. my car? Well, you know, you're just driving. no way that I'm I'm letting you drive my car. My car's worth more. I'm going to put you behind a wheel on my car, brand new. Seventy-eight thousand dollars. That's not that's not coming close <laughs> to happening. No, no, no. Listen, I drive. I got no. I got no problem. Now listen. Be clear. I want listen. To be clear the traffic getting into the stadium will probably be intense. Told, Hopefully, we get there I'm you know, good. at bang, a decent bang. time, so I can get to the tailgate, watch the game. Uh, there's only been one other time that I went to a Penn State where I got a game that I left at halftime, uh, and I took a bunch of people up there. I'll tell this quick story because Anthony Gargano, my good buddy, was there. His cousin Joey, his friend Joe Ben, my couple buddies, and are you ready for this? Tootie from Goodfellas. My buddy Frank DeLeo, who was Tootie and Goodfellas, he was Michael Jackson's manager for a lot of years. Frank DeLeo, he's since passed away. We took a, a who, I, an RV. Uh, we rolled up there in an RV. They played Miami, who had Clinton Portis and Jeremy Shockey. The score is 35 to nothing at halftime. I walked out of the game. First time ever I've walked out of a Penn State game. I am hoping, beyond hope, that this does not get to that level against Ohio State on Saturday. Well, look, I'm just, uh, I'm just tickled mm-hmm. that I'll have a nice, yeah, you can, yeah, you can relax. I slept. I, get, I can do that. My uh, eyes closed. You know. My car will actually just go to Penn State. Oh, I don't even have to drive it. Yeah. All right, folks. So thank you so much for listening. Is, uh, good the, the numbers for the podcast have been, uh, I, I'm being told by the beverage people are eye-popping. That's because of you guys out there listening. We hope you're enjoying the podcast the way we do it. We really appreciate you listening. And we've, give, we've tried to give you a podcast a day on this World Series run. And we'll give you another one tomorrow as we talk with Chad Durbin, former Philly, who broadcasted a lot of Phillies games this year on the radio. And he'll have some great insights on this World Series and what can happen. And on the chemistry of a team. He played on a team that had a lot of chemistry. And this is the same thing. This is a chemistry team. So we'll get his insights tomorrow. I better have a great rest of the day. I'll be safe out there. This is the Mike Messinelli Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mike Messinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.